You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight we continue in the book of Mark. We find ourselves in Mark 1, starting in verse 35. Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I came to preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went on throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, can you make me clean? Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and began to speak freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic, paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Oh, come on. Let's do it. Good evening. Ah, it's much better. Um, my name's Casey. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a, it's a real joy uh, to open up the scriptures with you. And uh, we've opened up, this is our third time to open up the scripture. Take two. This is the third time for us to open up the scriptures in, in the gospel of Mark. And, and what we're seeing in, in the gospel of Mark is we're asking the question, like, who, who is this Jesus, and what is he doing? Why has he come And in the Gospel of Mark, more than anything else, what we see, we see the doings of Jesus, what he has come to do. 
And, and so we're kind of pitching that around, you know, the, the prayer that he taught us to preach, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so we get to see elements of the kingdom of God, of why he's come. And this is my prayer for you, that in those elements you would say, God, would you do that in my life? God, would you do that around me? Could I see some of the kingdom in me and around me? And we would, what we see here, we would bring others into the kingdom by just bringing them to Jesus. Like we can't bring them into the kingdom any more than the guys who brought uh, their friend to Jesus could heal them. But just getting them in front of Jesus, just letting them be there to see him, thy kingdom come. It was uh, Thanksgiving this year. And, um, you know, we, we, we do pretty, I, I think we do pretty normal Thanksgiving things, you know, like normal family things. And if you're, you're wondering, like, if you want to figure out what normal Thanksgiving things mean, you know, Thanksgiving holidays for families are somewhere along a continuum. Like, you either have, like, a turkey 5K family day, or you have, like, a mimosa all day family day. And so it's like you're somewhere on that continuum, and, and we're, we're I, I don't know what you're going to think, we're much more on the 5K kind of side of things. Like, my family kind of organized that, and, uh, and we run, you know, I didn't choose it, but it's what we do. But we're like more on that side. And so other than that, maybe we do like normal things, but like normal things like a spades tournament. And so we had a family spades tournament, but this one was different than any spades tournament we have ever had because our kids played in the spades tournament and I found myself I was partners with my dad and I found myself playing my 15 year old niece and my 11 year old daughter and we were losing horribly I mean the first time my daughter enters in the tournament she is like spanking us it is terrible and so I start to diagnose the problem what is going on on and I start to look around like it's got to be something in the environment something has to be wrong what is the problem and all of a sudden I realize I can't win the hand with the lame music that is playing in the room we were playing like you know another tender Tennessee Christmas by Amy Grant and I was like for this win we need something to like pump us up we need like thunderstruck by ACDC and so, you know, I, I, I talked to my sister, I'm like, we got to change this. She brings up Thunderstruck, and so it's, you know, na, 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 na. Okay, you guys heard it, maybe. And so, like, all of a sudden, like, man, the game is at foot. We are playing. We are throwing the cards down. We are going to win this hand at a pivotal moment. As the song is rising, I actually took my shirt off and threw it on the ground and kept playing. And I was trying to get in my niece's head because she's like, my uncle just ripped his shirt off. What do I do? I mean, I was working it, and we won the hand, but lost the game right then. Yeah, I looked around, and I was like, man, there's a problem. Amy Grant is not getting it done for me. But I diagnosed the wrong problem. You see, the real problem is my dad and I are so similar. We are like optimists and we're kind of arrogant too. So when we look at our hand and we count up what we can win, like the hand clearly shows three, but then we look at the chumps around the table and like, well, they'll surely mess up something. So that's four. So I'll bid six. That's how we were losing. That was the problem beneath the tender Tennessee Christmas. 
what we see here, what we see in both accounts of healing, and so if you remember last week, we saw one account of healing, and then we see two accounts of healing, which what I want you to see on that is, like, Jesus is showing us what the kingdom of God is like. He wants to undo all that's wrong. But what we see here is we're in danger of seeing the wrong problem. We're in danger of seeing the problem that suffering brings, and yet Jesus comes and he goes through what was presented each time. Before he healed that problem, he goes through it to identify a different problem. And so the question that we want to wrestle, when you look at your life, when you look at what is around you or inside of you, are you sure you see the right problem? And so let's just get started. Look at this in verse 35. It says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Look at this, Everyone is looking for you. And if you were with us last couple weeks, that the ministry of Jesus is building, his popularity is growing, and he's like, everyone is looking for you. We've got a show to do. We need to meet the needs here. And then this is what he says in verse 38. And he said to him, let's go to the next town. And the response might have been, no, I thought we should maybe like, you know, print some Merc and maybe make a brand. But he said, let's keep going. And then he tells us why. And so in 38, he goes on, he says, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And so we saw this a little bit last week. Like if you look in verse 15, you see a summary of what he was preaching. And so look at verse 15. It says, the time is fulfilled, which means all of the Bible and all the prophets were building for this inaugurating moment. This moment, everything was filling up and now it's going to get dispensed. Everything was building for what Jesus would be like, what the kingdom of God was going to do. And now it's at this moment, the time is fulfilled. It's time for pouring out. And then it says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And so the kingdom of God is invading this world. It's at hand. That means like Jesus is about to put hands on it. He's about to take hold of it. It has begun. And then it says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent Metaneo, it means to change the way you think. Believe, it means to believe. That's why they translate it, believe. Or to put your confidence in. And so repent and believe in the gospel, it means good news. And so just so you know this, and I know we say it all the time, what is the gospel? Ultimately, the gospel is the news of something that has been done on your account that it can be yours. It's not advice of something you need to do. The gospel is not get your life together and come to God, present him your best. The gospel is God has come to you and he's done something. And so it's at hand. So Jesus was saying, I've got to go tell people this. Everyone thinks that you've got to do something to earn God's affection. And this is the good news of what's laid before. God has come to lay his affection. All you have to do is open your hands. And so he says, I've come for this message. Now jump back down to 39. 
He says, and he went through all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Like, this is everything we saw in verses 21 through 34. Like, it's still going. He's just in a new place. Verse 40, it says, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said, if you are willing. Like, look at that again. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Like, look at that. He didn't have any question about if Jesus was able. He had a question if Jesus was willing. He had questioned Jesus, would you make time for me? Could my problems get your attention? Is there room for me that you would look at me and you would touch me? Like, I I think sometimes when we come to the scriptures, this is the struggle. Like, We look at what Jesus has done in these pages, or maybe we hear about someone's testimony, or we see what they did in their relationships or in their life, and we're like, so I know he can, but would he ever do it for me? And so he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now look at Jesus' response. Moved with pity. First word, pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him, second word, touched, and said to him, third word, said, I will be clean. And so the first thing, Jesus, his compassion, the word for pity, it's actually like it means like moved in the bowels. You know, I mean, sometimes like the ancients had a better understanding, like the feel of things. Like when you see something and it's like gut-wrenching, like that's our language. Like we see something and it moves me on the inside. And so Jesus saw him, saw his problem that was being presented, saw a different problem, and it wrenched his guts. Like it moved him on the inside. And then what happened? He touched him. Now at this point, he's not healed. And so let's look at this problem. Like he's a leper, a leprosy. They don't understand it. It's just things start to get infected. Things start to go numb. Things start to wear off. You are outcast. You can't touch anyone. If you're coming down the street and clean people who don't have leprosy get near you, you have to yell out, untouchable. Leprosy. See, Jesus had pity on him. Jesus touched him. And then Jesus said, He spoke to him saying, I will be clean. See, it's pretty easy to see the underlining problem here. It wasn't just that he had untouchable skin. He believed he was untouchable to other people and to God. Are you willing and like, like, like we're, we're, I'm about to do, tell you like the three things I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to get it. But just like real fast, like sometimes like the problems that we bring, like it looked like something on the surface, but there's something else. And Jesus goes right to it. Before he heals his leprosy, he says, I want you to know that I am God incarnate who entered this world to enter your life. Verse 42, and immediately leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. This is what the theologians call the muteness uh, uh, muteness of Mark. 
And so you see all the time, like Jesus is silencing the demons. He's saying, hey, don't tell them I'm the son of God. Or he's silencing people. Don't tell them that I healed you. And he's maybe trying like crowd control. It's not time for that. But we see it all the time. And no one obeys. Look at verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And so that, that's, the, that's the cliffhanger. Jesus' popularity is growing. There's no room if you want Jesus, like you're like, I don't know if there's going to be room for me. And it comes to the same question of the leper. Like, what if Jesus is too preoccupied with everyone else's needs? What if he doesn't have time? What if there's no room for me? What if my problems aren't a priority? What if they have more potential for the kingdom of God than me? Can I get to Jesus? And this is the scene. Like, this is the scene that is setting up. Is there room for me to bring me and my problems to Jesus? The, the three things that I, I want to really point out, um, and it's going to go pretty fast. I know I say that every week, but three things. Three different people have problems. We, we see the, the, the paralytic. We see his friends have problems. We see the paralytic. He has problems. And when, then we see the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they have problems. And, and so let's just look at this. Like the paralytic's friends, they had some problems. Like they were crazy. They were crazy. Look at what they do. Verse 1, 1 through 4 says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to him. We already unpacked the message that he was preaching over and over. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Like, let's consider, like, these friends, like, what they were dedicated to do. Like, they were crazy, crazy persistent. Before you dig a hole in a roof, you've probably tried one or two other things. Like, you've probably tried just to push through the crowd. You, you probably tried to like elbow people to get them out of the way. You, you probably tried stepping on toes. You probably tried even guilting people. Like, oh, you're not going to make room for our friend who's on a mat. What is wrong with you? You've probably tried a lot of things. I mean, before you do the old dig a hole in the roof maneuver, you try a lot of other offenses. Like they were crazy persistent. They, they were crazy creative. Like, I just want to know what the conversation was like after the first guy said, you know, man, there's just no way in. You know, we tried to go low. We tried to go to the left. We tried to go to the right. We tried to shame everyone. Let's just cut a hole in the roof. Like, I want to know the conversation after that where everyone's like, yeah, yeah, cut. Oh, you're serious. Like, what was that like? Or, or, or not only that, they were crazy. Costly. 
like they, they considered the cost. They're willing to commit felonies. They're like, we're going to pay for the damages. We're going to take whatever, you know, reputation comes with this. Like they're like, we don't care. You know, and it's just, you know, even just that, it's a lot of work. Like the average roof, like the typical Syrian roof in this time would have had like timbers. So larger, like think, like think joists. You know, every two to three feet you would have wood going across the entire structure. And then on top of that you would lay like branches on top going perpendicular and cover the entire roof. And then on top of that you would like little, little branches going the other way. And so you have this like weave going and then you bury that in about a foot of dirt and then they grow grass on top to hold it all together. So they were literally digging through the roof. Like, that's a lot of work. And it's not like a lot of work that people are going to approve of. I mean, it's going to be loud. You know people are probably yelling at them, like, what are you doing to my roof? It's like, uh, you'll see, you know. They looked at all these problems and said, we have to get our hurting friend in front of Jesus. They pushed through crowds and disapproving looks. They pushed through opposition and judgment. They pushed through dirt and timber. I bet they had to push through some disbelief also. Like, what, what, if, what if Jesus is mad? We kind of messed up his meeting. Like, like, what if it doesn't work? And then we're just the crazy guys who cut a hole in the roof and dropped our friend. Like, what if that doesn't work? Push through a lot of disbelief. But praise God, they just had enough faith to keep pushing. Like their faith even impressed Jesus. Look at verse 5. It says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, <coughs> your sins are forgiven. Like Jesus saw their faith. He responded to their faith and acted on behalf of their friend in need. Like the faith of others can move you. Your faith for others can move God. You know, where I've seen this happen so many times is when someone's in a really difficult situation, but God's people are around him, and it's almost like they say this, can you just borrow my faith? Just borrow my faith. I know it's hard to see where this is going. I don't even know where it's going, but this is what I believe. I believe God is good. I believe God has seen you. I believe no matter how crowded the room is, there's room for you. Can you just borrow my faith? faith. These friends had a problem. They were crazy. But the paralytic had an obvious problem. But it was deeper than what he knew. Look at verse 5 again. In verse 5 it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Like, I, I, I want, like, try to think about that moment. Like, your friends had just tried to, like, you know, basketball foul everyone. You know, like, the polite, like, you know, I didn't use my hands. I just kind of nudged you. They tried to, like, squeeze through everybody. They tried to guilt through everyone. They finally came up with, let's just cut a hole in the roof. Like, as you're laying there, you might be like, guys, it's really not worth it. I mean, they probably had to go get some tools. Like, they probably didn't bring shovels with them. Like, all through the process, like, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know. And then you finally get lowered down and you're in front of Jesus and he says, I forgive your sins. You would have been like, what? That's not my problem. My problem is not that. Like that might be a problem. My problem is obvious. For the last like half hour we've been digging up the roof. I can't walk. My legs don't work. 
that is my problem. Can you imagine what that felt like? Like, like being paralyzed is horribly hard today in a first world country where things like wheelchairs exist and things like accessible ramps are around and, and things like where we have motorized things or there's you know, accessible bathrooms that are available, like horribly hard. Think about then where the technology was a mat. Dependent upon friends and loved ones for everything. I, there's no way I'm going to go to the bathroom by myself. People are cleaning me up. They're carrying me everywhere. If they stop, I die. You start to think, man, I'm holding everyone's back. My problems are now their problems. They can't do what they want to do. The guilt associated with that. Like, think about how you would start to think. Like, even you, you hear about Jesus' miracle worker. You, you, you've heard about the stories of what he's done. You start to think, if I could only walk. If this problem was fixed, everything would go right. Everything. I would never complain again. I would never, you know, not trust God again. I would never, like, you know, shame the name. I would work. Everything would go for me if I could only walk. See, Jesus was saying, you're wrong. I see that problem, and it's a drastic problem. But you're wrong. There's a problem much, much deeper. Jesus knew something the man didn't know. Jesus knew something his friends didn't know. Jesus knows that there is something that we need to know that is deeper than the presenting problem that we see. This man had a much bigger problem than his physical condition. Jesus was saying, I see what you see, but I see something far deeper than what you see. See, your, your main problem, your deepest problem, is not your suffering, but it's your sin. Now, now I want you to look at me. Like, in our culture... That's a hard thing to say. Like, like actually in our culture, that, that, that's like near hate speech right there. To look at someone and to say the Bible is telling us Jesus is looking at this man and he's looking through his suffering. He sees it. He acknowledges it. He's going to deal with it. It's not something unspokable. But he says, your problem, your biggest problem is not the suffering in your life, but it's the sin in your life. The deepest problem about you, it goes below the suffering to a reservoir of sin. And suffering has a way of hiding our sin. You know, I, um, have you ever had an ingrown toenail? I know, I, know, I mean, I feel like you're judging me right now, like what, I'm dirty. No, it just happens. Okay, and like I never, th you know, before I had an ingrow toenail, I never thought about my big toes. Like if someone stepped on your foot, you're like, hey man, why do you get my shoes dirty? But when you have an ingrown toenail and it hurts, everything about the way you move is to protect that. And if someone steps on your toes, you want to kill them. Your body starts to move in such a way to avoid disrupting that place to avoid causing pain like everything starts to move about that suffering has a way to pull everything around itself 
And the danger is it can hide deeper unseen problems. Suffering magnifies a self-centeredness in your soul and it blinds us to the needs of others. Suffering has the ability to hide more dangerous problems. Suffering has a way that it can justify and excuse every sin of the heart. I mean, you've seen it. There's an alliance that sometimes happens with suffering where it's like, you can't ask that of me. You can't call that into account. You don't know what happened. Jesus sees his suffering. He says, I see your legs, but there's a problem beneath that problem that I have to address. Your sin runs deeper than your suffering. And the only savior that can reach that deep is Jesus. You know, there's another way, like this kind of plays out sometimes forward where we think more of identity, where we start to think like, if I only had that, then I would be okay. If I could only have that kind of relationship or that kind of success or or that kind of recognition or that kind of network or that kind of income, if I only had that, we start to, whatever that is, it starts to become like a little S savior. Like that will actually save me. I'll actually have happiness. I'll like myself. I'll be able to forgive others if I have that thing. And so the problem is then we look at the big S savior and we say, I need this savior to save me. And if the big S Savior is loving at all, he wouldn't give you the little S Savior that can't save at all. And so the paralytic, surely he saw, like, walking would save me. I mean, how many times do you think he said something like, man, if I could only walk, I would never be discontent again. And so the friends, man, they, they were crazy persistent. They just had one mission. They just said, man, we see our friends suffering and we don't know all that needs to be done. We just know that we need to get him before Jesus. And then the paralytic, he sees his suffering and he hears your son, son, your sins are forgiven. And there had to be a heartbreak in that moment of like, that's not my problem. But Jesus goes on. He wants you to know it is your deepest Problem. I will deal with the legs in a minute, but I want you to know your deepest problem is something is hindering you from knowing the God of the universe who created you. But there's one more problem. The religious leaders had a problem. They wanted their Jesus, not the real Jesus. There was something about the real Jesus that just rubbed them the wrong way. They would have been there to try to maybe figure out what's going on. But look at verse 6. It says, now some of the scribes were sitting there, like standing room only, like packed to the mouth. And they're just sitting on the front row. And so some of them were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in the Holy Spirit that they, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Now, like maybe he had, it says he leaned on the Holy Spirit. Maybe he just saw it on their face. Like sometimes your face exposes you. You know, you hear something, you're like, what is that? But he saw it, he perceived it, and he turns to him. He says, I also see what's in your heart. And he starts to like build up on that. And this is where the dilemma begins. They were right. Only God can forgive sins, but they were also offended. Who does Jesus think he is? 
they knew what he was saying. See, the reality is they were fine with Jesus, the moral teacher, who taught about the law in the Old Testament. The reality is they were probably just fine with Jesus, the miracle worker. I mean, that's a fun thing to see. Or Jesus, the guy who cast out demons. But all of a sudden, Jesus says, I do cast out demons. I do do miracles. I am talking about the Old Testament in a way no one else has. But I also forgive sins. And I know what you're thinking. Only God can forgive sins. And yet I'm here and I will prove it. There is a danger in all of us that we want to make Jesus into a little bit moral, more moral person like us. See, we, we want Jesus to kind of not like the people that we don't like or be against the people that make us uncomfortable. Or we want Jesus to really affirm our wants, you know, correct them a little bit. But Jesus comes in and he makes these crazy claims. You don't even know the right problem. I'm not even going to deal with that problem until we talk about the problem I'm pointing at. They wanted their Jesus, not the real Jesus. And so if you're here and you're like just unsure about who Jesus is, man, stick with us. You know, ultimately just read the scriptures. What does Jesus say about himself? Like if you read what Jesus says about himself, like he clearly over and over is doing God-like things, claiming God-like status, being offensive to all the religious leaders in such a way because he's saying, I'm not like you. I'm altogether different. I have a message that God has come to forgive sins. And after you read all of that, you have some choices. Like you can call him crazy. Someone who just ran his mouth off and was nuts and just kept running his mouth off and got killed for it. Or you can call him evil. Like he was a demon who made these incredible claims and, and trying to pull people away from their faith. Or, or you can call him the God man who has come bringing good news that we can be reconnected with God who created the universe and knows us and loves us. But you can't settle for what they wanted, a good teacher, a miracle worker, a moral example that we could follow. He says, son, I forgive your sins, but who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 12, no, I'm sorry, 9. So Jesus says, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. And like, there's a lot of commentating on like, well, which one is easier? And people talk. I think ultimately what's going on is like, so you know that I can do what I just said, that I can forgive his sins. I'm going to give you a taste of the coming kingdom. If you want to know what's behind the veil, look what I'm about to do in front of the veil. And so he says, but so that you know I can do this. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And, and once again, I said I, I was pretty sure every uh, healing account in Mark uses that term, rise. It's the same word used to describe Jesus resurrecting. And so we see it again. And it says, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Jesus saw his suffering. And he was saying, I will get there, but there's something more dangerous beneath it. There's a problem beneath the problem that you're holding up to me. What if Jesus 
loves you too much to fix the suffering that you're pointing at? What if he wants you to see something beneath that first? What if the perspective of the paralytic whose sins were forgiven, that means he is with God right now. He is with Jesus right now. What would his perspective be right now? What if Jesus wants to fix something in your heart and soul before that felt need? At that moment, Jesus had the power to heal his legs in the same way that God has the power to end your suffering right now. In the same way that God has the power to give you the relationship or the career or the change on the inside or the recognition or whatever, that just the peace of heart and the peace of soul. What if he's saying the same thing? I love you too much just to fix that. I'm pointing at something deeper. You know, it's so ironic. If you, if you remember this, you know, last year at the beginning of 2020, it seems like everybody was doing some sort of 2020 vision series. I mean, we, we didn't, we weren't, you know, we were walking through the gospels. Uh, we, we were actually talking about how Jesus used tables to invite sinners in. And we were telling you to use your table to invite sinners in. And then the pandemic happened and it was like, should we keep telling them to do that? Like, just use your table? Um, we have two messages. We'll pick it up sometime. I'll follow that. What if, you know, whatever, like, however last year has shaken you up, whether it has, has made you afraid and you have begged God to make you safe, or whether it has made you angry and you have begged God to expose things, what if, like, everyone started off right, like, 2020 would give us a vision. It just wasn't the, you know, the, the vision that we wanted. It just wasn't the vision of, like, this, you know, this powerful thing happening and success and power coming out. What if it was a vision of what was actually in your heart? What if it was a vision that you actually have a whole lot more idolatry inside of your life, you have a whole lot more of control that you actually want, and when you don't get it, something really scary comes out? What if it was a vision that there is something dangerous inside of you, that you will like damn people and relationships if it gets touched? What if it was a different vision, but what if it was the right vision? What if there's a problem beneath the problem you're holding? What might you say for all eternity about that? What if Jesus loves you too much to just fix the suffering? What if he just says, I want to show you something beneath that? What if that's the coming kingdom of God in your life? Let me pray for us. Um, Father, uh, Man, that's hard. It's so hard to look, to hear. It's so hard to see Jesus describe something that deeper than this man's suffering was his sin. When we see such devoted friends willing to do so much because they're moved by the suffering and love, and Lord, that makes nothing small of suffering itself. And we pray to a God who understands suffering just fine. 
I mean, what if we looked to the cross and all we saw was a broken body and spilled blood? What if we looked to the cross and all we saw was a ministry that ended with a martyrdom that might give us hope? You know, maybe give us a little inspiration to do something great. What if that was all that was there? What if the wrath of God wasn't poured out upon Jesus? What if there was no atonement to make right, to make me right before God that I might stand on judgment? What if there was no forgiveness? What if the things deeper than what we saw didn't exist? What would we have? And so real fast, like, look up at me. There was far more going on on the cross than what was seen. And what was seen was horrific. Far more. What might be unseen in what God's doing in your life? See, every week we come and we remember communion. And and so we remember what was seen, but Jesus told us a lot of what was unseen. He said, this is not just my flesh that's going to be pulled off. This is my flesh that needs to be consumed. And so he looked at the bread and he renamed it and he said, this reminds you that my body was broken. My real body, God made flesh. God entered in, had a real body because we have real bodies and it was broken. And so every week we remind ourselves and we take communion to remember that God entered humanity in the person of Jesus. Christian, the body of Jesus broken for you. But then he also renamed the the cup that, that represented the wrath of God. And he said, this was poured out for your life. And he said, this is my blood. The blood of Jesus poured out for you. Jesus, thank you that there was more going on beneath what was seen, even though what was seen was horrific. Lord, I pray that you would give us faith, faith for one another and faith in you, that there's more going on than what is seen. Lord, help us be those kind of crazy friends who will say, borrow my faith. Let me help you uh, get before Jesus. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.